The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. With the drive to lower carbon emissions and create a more sustainable society becoming more pressing, can the cost of going green actually be prohibitive for many people. We're joined now by financial planning consultant with InvestWise, David Quinn, host of the Stretchmarks podcast, Sinead Moore, and climate journalist, John Gibbons. Good morning and welcome one and all. Now, I know, John, given your credentials, you'd be saying to hell with the cost, we just got to do it. And the IPCC report yesterday, which was a combination of other studies, would suggest that's the case. Yeah, good morning, Pat. Yeah, I think that is the situation really where we're probably in that position where we, we, we've, we've, we've kind of had a number of years, maybe decades to sort of say, well, will we do this? Now we're at the point of saying, well, we have to do this. What's the best way to do it? What's the most efficient way, the most effective way, the way that gets the best bang for your buck? But the idea of it, this being a, an option and a choice, unfortunately, that moment has passed. What is the IPCC report telling us yesterday? Well, first of all, this is, as you said, this is a synthesis report which basically brings together the three major reports and a couple of subsidiary reports over the last number of years. And essentially what it's saying is that we're right smack out of time. The the, the danger line that they've identified is at 1.5 degrees global warming. We're currently, Pat, at about 1.1 degrees. Uh, we're also heading into an El Nino year, which means it is possible within the next couple of years that we may temporarily breach 1.5. Now, 1.5, of course, doesn't sound like a lot. But in fact, that is the temperature of the entire entire surface of the planet, including the surface of the oceans. So that temperature increase is phenomenal. It's a gigantic increase in energy inside a closed system. The effect of that, of course, is that it is making our weather system destabilise. We're getting extreme weather now that we simply have no analogue for anywhere on the record. As you know, we've always had um, weather events. What we're now having are multi-hemisphere weather events. In other words, literally from the from the Arctic to the Antarctic and everything in between, we're seeing records falling on a monthly, sometimes even a weekly basis. Um, now, I've thrown this argument at you before and I'll throw it at you again because it is maybe compelling. We're here, five million people, and we have a lot of uh, cattle and so on emitting methane. Um, But go to China, billions of people doing all sorts of consumption, building even new coal power stations all over Eastern Europe, coal still being used. No matter what we do, it'll help a little bit, but it's such a tiny percentage of the effort that is required that it doesn't really matter whether we do it or not. I mean, that's obviously a, a view. I think it's a very fatalistic view. Because if we reverse that pat and say the folks in China are looking across to Ireland and saying, well, my per capita emissions are way lower than those rich Irish people. Now, they apparently have decided to do nothing. So the hell with that. I'm going to do nothing too. And the problem is... So it's a principle thing rather than... No, I think it's more than that. For example, Antonio Guterres, he actually addressed this, the UN General Secretary yesterday, and he basically said, if we don't all jump together, we either hang together on this pat or we hang separately. So the idea in Ireland that we're too small to matter, it's not true. Okay, no, but if we did everything we're supposed to do. Uh, Called our uh, herd, our national herd. Um, Everyone drove electric and we put as much wind as we could possibly build across the uh, uh, off the west coast. And we we did all of that and and the others did nothing. We'd still be bunched. 
Absolutely, 100%. But that's why it's so important. We're a country, we've just come through Paddy's Day and what we've seen is for a small country, we punch so far above our weight. We have diplomatic reach, we have, if you like, social and cultural reach way beyond our size. So I think, you know, we need to recognise that and also recognise that while on the one hand we have all that cultural reach, on the other hand, Pat, we have the highest per capita emissions in the European Union. So we're, we're, we, 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 we have this dichotomy. We should be leaders, we can be leaders, uh, like on renewable energy, for example, good things are happening, but we really have to get our house in order. As my, my mother used to say, you must clean your own room first before you start wagging your finger at the Chinese. All right. Now, uh, let's talk about uh, what we need to do. Obviously, we can change our mobility, uh, try and go electric or go on the bike or whatever it might be. Uh, we could uh, insulate our houses, retrofit our houses. David, from a financial point of view, is it just too expensive for most ordinary people to do that? It can be. And uh, we spend a lot of our time sitting down with clients talking about their financial plans and affordability and saving for the future. And in our initial questionnaires that we send out to clients on day one, we have those questions in there. What are your sustainability preferences? What What is your focus here for the future? About 50% of our respondents answer at all. Some of them just don't answer the question at all. So we find we have a split. The people who do answer that question are very focused on sustainability and then they want to their financial plan to work, allowing for the extra spending on an electric car or allowing for the extra spending on more expensive domestically produced products or whatever it takes to hit their sustainability goals personally. And that does cost more money. So uh, 50% of our clients don't have that preference. So they just want to make it from month to month and they'll buy the cheapest product in the supermarket shelf. They'll uh, keep... So sustainability just doesn't uh, figure on their horizon at all? At at least initially, until they're browbeaten by regulators or, you know, institutions into investing in sustainable or environmental funds, which is a trend now in the investment world, that individuals aren't making the choice. So the regulators are stepping in and saying, you have to do it. Now, there are a couple of things about transport, for example. Some people, given how ill-fit-for-purpose our public transport system is for many people. They have to use the car Mm. uh, to commute. Mm. And even when prices went up and the government mitigated those price increases with excise changes and so on, um, the car use did not go down. No. So a price for a particular kind of carbon use is not necessarily an inhibitor. Mm. However, when people saw their ESB bill, their electric bill and their gas bill going up to heat their houses suddenly they start thinking of solar panels on the roof. Yeah. Because it begins to make sense, that financial equation. Very much so. Now that energy bills have gone up, or the cost of diesel or the cost of your home heating bill has gone up, it's starting to make sense. I do feel there's, there is, on the other side of that argument, there is a little bit of profit-taking from some groups. It's expensive to retrofit your house, even with the grant. It's expensive to buy an electric car. The people who are fitting these things are just taking the grant for themselves. Well, Because that's what developers have always done. Whenever the government gave a grant to the home buyer, the developer just upped the price by the amount of the grant. In certain circumstances, that is definitely the case. I've had clients trying to do it and they've eventually been able to price doing it themselves in a more DIY manner. To, to get those margins down, but there is definitely, uh, the cost of retrofitting a house is, you know, the payback period can be very, very long at current prices. I think we need more competition and more support in that area to allow uh, a more competitive yeah. price. I, I mean, it does depend on your age as well. Many of the people living in houses that need badly to be insulated are older people. Yeah. They're told, well, the payback time is 25 years. Yeah. And they said, well, I won't be around that long. So they won't do to it. To enjoy it. Yeah. 
So, all right, um, Sinead, now from uh, an ordinary person's perspective, That's trying me. to do the green thing <laughs> as best you can, what are the problems? Look, I think every day is a, is a fine tightrope when it comes to making so many decisions. And it comes down to this, this feels like a, a cost of busyness. You know, I, I can't afford to work less because I'm working so much, I don't have time to make good actions, good decisions, good behaviours that could reduce my need for the car, my need to have the oven constantly on, the, my need to to buy something more convenient. It, we need we need to take a step back and assess how can the small windows, the small margins within everyone's day make collective difference because listening to what's being shared here today there is a great will there is a great intention but when it comes to how quickly the hours pass in the day all of a sudden so many little decisions have been made and they've kind of been made poorly because we just haven't had the chance to stop think and be like okay can I make the the right decision am I being signposted towards the right decision are the people within power making it accessible for me to make the right decision um, the kind of decisions, though, I mean, in your house, for example, do mm. you think about, uh, you know, when the central heating is on? Uh, are you one of those people telling everyone switch out that light when you leave the room? That kind of thing. I mean, are you co- conscious in that way of what it's costing? I'm definitely conscious when it comes to our heating bills. I mean, I think I, I, I'd love to meet somebody who isn't concerned about that at the moment. Um, I work from home. I am in the property a lot um, and I have small children. I'm concerned about whether they are warm or cold at night. So instead of just saying here, put another blanket on, you know, I have a two year old. I want to make sure that there's a there's They'll kick a off the blanket anyway. Exactly. <laughs> sufficient temperature because I want her to sleep through the night. She sleeps through the night. I'm a more efficient person the next day. All of these things have knock ons. Um, so, yes, when it comes to looking at the bills, yes, I'm not going around the house turning off lights. I need to get better at even things like are our devices still switched on? You know, what what's being left on overnight that's not necessary? Um, but I am looking at how can I buy things in the supermarket that are the right choices. And and again, it's about the signposting. And I find this really confusing as a consumer because I might look at something that says organic and I might feel that moment of, oh, no, I did something good. I made the right consumer mm. decision there. It says organic. And then I think, well, no, it, it's packaged in something that isn't going to you know, yeah. decompose. It's it's being shipped from somewhere. What was the manufacturing cost to the environment for this having been made? Should I just have picked up the non-organic carrot and put it in some boiling water on a pot at home? Would that have been a better decision? And, and are you uh, plagued with those kind of thoughts all the time? Because I've often, you know, you go into a restaurant and you, you need to go to the bathroom, whatever, and you wash your hands and there's a choice, a paper towel or do I switch on the Electric. blow heater to dry my hands. And I'm thinking, which is the greatest thing to do? You know, that paper has got to be manufactured. And once it's used, it's at the lowest end of the paper. It cannot be recycled anyway. So it's going to be disposed of into uh, an incinerator somewhere or landfill, for heaven's sake. Or do I switch on the blower and use electricity that has been generated by a fossil fuel? Am I the only person who has these kind of thoughts, David? 
Uh, no, absolutely. We're plagued with it, Pat. And it's all small little decisions that we have to make. But and, and it's overwhelming. So we just mm. we tend to try and do what feels best for us at the time rather than the really big kind of macro decisions. Yeah. Now, a texter made. has immediately come on and said, when you wipe your hands in your trousers. <laughs> <laughs> they beat Let me the to it. Yeah. <laughs> or wave them, wave them. But it's that kind of thing that you're trying to do the right thing. But it's often... Um, prohibitively expensive. For example, you talked, uh, Sinead, about uh, organic. Now, it may well be organic that's been shipped in from Malta, and that doesn't make green sense Mm. uh, to do that. But even if it is local organic, the organic carrot is almost inevitably going to be less pretty and cost more than the standard carrot. Yeah, and the the motoring one is the one I have the most debate with, with clients over whether to keep their old diesel or buy a new electric car. And, yeah. you know, what, what is the mileage tipping point where it makes sense to keep spitting out those emissions or buy the electric car? And, you know, it's, that's not an obvious decision. And people just go for the new electric car because it's shiny and cool anyway, uh, even though it's not an obvious environmental decision for some people. Well, it, that John might be able to help us here because you have the mining of lithium. God knows what poor children are mining lithium or whoever they might be in far-flung foreign countries, uh, the, those kind of costs which are not visible versus do I keep this old diesel on the road for another few years uh, and ultimately it'll be turned into scrap because it's better than investing in a brand new car that involves all of that manufacturing. Of course, the the uh, the mining, there's far like colossally greater impact globally from the mining of fossil fuels, whether it's coal or oil or shale uh, gas. But you know what I mean? Let, I let's know. take that no, new take car. Point. The old yeah. diesel, yeah. Uh, which is going to be spewing out exhaust fumes from its combustion of, of diesel hmm. versus the electric car, which is a new car. It's a new vehicle. Yeah, it is. And therefore has all the costs of manufacture. It does. And, and in a sense, you take that hit maybe at some point. Now, we have to like we're, first of all, we're not going to magically wave a wand and get rid of 2.4 million cars off the roads in Ireland, right? Uh, we're, that's not going to happen. So we have to, over time, transition away. Now, cars run to the the end of their life cycle, whether that's 10 or 15 years out. Now, so you can gradually replace the cars that are falling off the end of that line, if you but like. Is that is that electrics. what you would do if you were the Green Minister? Would you allow people to run them down to the point of where they're not worth repairing? Well, in a sense, Pat, people are perfectly permitted to, to make that decision themselves. They make those rational decisions. I did, for example, about four or five years ago, I made the decision uh, time to, to, to get rid of the diesel, to go electric. I mean, the range wasn't exactly where I wanted it to be, but I guess I decided to to, to have a go, right? Uh, somebody, you know, just to, to, to give it a go, see how it worked. And it is certainly initially more inconvenient, right? You've got to plan your trips. You can't just go anywhere. You can't go up the McGillicuddy Reeks, for example, right? You have to think yeah. about things. But I thought to myself, do you know what? That's a pretty small price to pay. Because a few things, I suppose, about, about electrics. I mean, if we leave for a second the fact that the manufacturing of any car, whether it's electric or whether it's uh, diesel, that there's 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 impl- resource implications. Let's accept that. Okay. Now, we need certain parts of Ireland, particularly rural areas. Right. We're never going to have public transport to perfection. Urban areas, I think, we can largely eliminate the private car. I really do. Right. Rural areas, much more difficult. What we need to do to move our transport emissions, which are 20 percent of our national emissions total in Ireland, what we need to do is to move those folks from their their diesels and their petrols onto electrics over time and support that move. And once you do it, Pat, and as I said, there are some downsides, no question about it, a little bit of range anxiety and so on. But the upsides are, for example, 
in the four or five years that I've had an electric, I've had one quote service. One. There is no yeah. spark plugs. There's no oil. There's no uh, filters. It's an amazingly simple device. Yeah. Effectively, you're driving a large battery with a computer, right? So all those moving parts that you have to service, replace, repair, that keep breaking down and wearing out in a regular car, they're gone in electric, right? That's number one. And the second thing, of course, is at night, I plug it in. I've set the timer. So 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. I'm on, on the scheme that I'm on, I get super cheap electricity, like really cheap between 2 and 4 a.m. So pretty much every night, the car uh, grabs some of the cheapest electricity on the grid. I'm also doing the grid a favor because I'm balancing the grid by doing it at that hour of the night. It it gives me flexibility and control that nobody with a petrol or diesel car has. And that's something, once you get yeah. used to that patch, you never go back. All right. Um, that's probably the, the, the right thing to do. But at the moment, and there are newer models coming on that ha- are more price competitive with brand new petrol or diesel cars. So they're, they're, we're getting there slowly. The range is creeping up as well. You can get up to, I think, 700, the latest Mercedes top end. Well, you're, you're in a six figure there. I think most yeah. of us. W- w- no, but I think that's what I'm saying. That of course, they're getting there. Yeah. And inevitably, the stuff that starts in the top of the range cars filters down in time to the, the lower end of things. But it's still most people in probably do buy secondhand cars and there's virtually no, as you were demonstrating, John, you're not putting your uh, your five-year-old electric car on the second-hand market. I'm on my second electric car, Pat. Okay. So yes, so I am. You did. So, oh, yes, right. I did. <laughs> Last right. year. David, that whole business of affordability yeah. of, uh, of cars. I mean, there is no, like to buy the cheapest electric cars probably around the late 20s. Yeah, I, I did see the ID2 is potentially going to be low 20s, but that's two years away. Mm. Yeah, um, and that'll be the equivalent of Polo. Yeah, VW Polo. Yeah, yeah. And, and that, there's an ID1, which will be the equivalent of Up, although VW have a city car that has just come out. They're, they're a couple of years away, though, before they become that affordable. So, and interest rates are going up. So most people are buying new cars with PCP finance. It's not getting any cheaper. So that... That is in some way offsetting the cost of the new car. But then you save on running costs, as John said, and that's a big saving with current diesel and petrol prices. So, okay, now, Sinead, uh, what we buy, fast fashion, Mm -hmm. stuff. Mm. um, Stuffication. Stuffication, Mm -hmm. yeah. (laughs) I mean, we could do a lot, I think, in terms of reducing our stuffication. We could do a lot and that came through. So I ran some polls last night um, on my community on Instagram. About 400 people took part. Uh, All generally parents of, you know, mid-30s, age range, young young kids at home working, uh, trying to get through the day. And yes, stuffication came through as one of the areas, food waste and plastic toys and just simply buying less seem to be that the areas with which they identified as things that really they could do better at. When it came to the larger ticket items, the things that we just talked about here, about the retrofitting, about the cars, Mm. simply cost was just so prohibitive. And even if they wanted to do it, they just they don't have the capital sitting at home in order to do it. If they were supported more, there was great intention, great intention to do those bigger ticket item stuff. But really the things that they felt they could focus on and actually make daily considered changes on was the food waste, the plastic toys, the fast fashion and just simply less, less of everything. Um, Have you come across many of um, the people who uh, support you in your endeavours who go for what might be called pre-loved clothes? Yes, that is that is definitely on the rise. It's difficult with children. Children wreck their clothes. I mean, (laughs) that is that is the truth of it. Uh, But certainly, you know, I think it's very it's very handy if you have the same um, 
I don't want to get into a gender debate, but if you have, you know, I have two girls and I have an attic full of pre-loved clothes that are being passed down. The hand-me-downs. I think we got into a culture there of expecting our children to almost Mm. parade out in brand new outfits all the time. There is a necessity, though, for a bit of fast fashion in our lives as parents. Uh, 83% just saying, look, our kids are growing so fast they simply cannot afford to kit them out in things that aren't from the fast fashion world. You're looking at, you know, babies going through those vests and those baby grows in no time. You're not going to spend 30, 40 euro on something that is amazingly crafted from Ireland. However, there was, again, great intention to support those that are in that industry in Ireland. John, um, the the question of consumption, reducing consumption. Um, every time I go to a clothes bank, for example, I see that they're bulging at the seams, people throwing stuff out that some of it looks quite in good nick. That's right, Pat. I, I looked up some of the stats on this and they really are uh, eye popping. For example, in the last 20 years, 20 years, um, global clothing production has increased 400 percent fourfold in 20 years. That hasn't happened because, you know, kids are growing faster than they used to. And the population hasn't grown There's been, we have an extra whatever billion or so, but that is not accounting. What is accounting here is an industry that has become superbly good at convincing us to over-consume and over-consume. And they get away with it because of course they're selling stuff that is dirt cheap. And cheap, like when you go into a shop which shall remain nameless and buy this dirt cheap clothing, what you're buying basically is other people's poverty. That's what you're cashing in on is other people's poverty. When you buy clothing, when you pick up a T-shirt for two or three euros, you're basically, you've got the the sweat of people's exploited labour on your hands. And I'm sorry to put it that way, but that's what you're buying. Now, by the way, you can go into a branded store and pay five times more and still be buying from the same sweatshop. So what we need there again to address this is uh, fair pricing to make sure uh, a bit like the fair trade equivalent. We don't really have a fair trade equivalent for clothing. But uh, I mean, our own farmers will claim that uh, they don't get the price for their labours as well, that the margins go to. But uh, this is a whole other level. I'm talking about people here, not on the edge of poverty, but way below the poverty line working in in appalling conditions and I think people know full well that some things are just too cheap. I mean this is an argument it's not necessarily uh, about greenness it's Mm. about labour laws and all of that but uh, Sinead what John is saying means that uh, the, the, the price of going green means paying more for fast fashion. Absolutely but I think it's about buying less fashion in total you know, we don't always need to upgrade every single season. We don't need four, five, six of everything. We need to consume less of everything. And maybe by that way, we will be able to save some more money and buy more responsibly. All right. uh, I want to go b- back to David finally for uh, the, the question that we were asking. Is it just too damned expensive to go green? Uh I, I think it can be done if people are smart. I think it's a sales job on behalf of governments and regulators to convince us that they're not telling us what to do, that it's good for us, it's good for our families, it's good for the environment and good for the future. It's a, it's a, the, the regulators tell us to invest into these new environmental investment funds uh, and people don't like doing it because they're being told what to invest in. Whereas if we told them these funds are going to perform better over years because those companies are more tuned into the future sustainability, then that's mm. it's a sales job to convince people. 
Uh, finally, before we wrap uh, from a, a texter, will you please ask John Gibbons? He claimed recently on a tweet that Ireland will be submerged by the sea due to climate warming, but he didn't give a date. You wouldn't mind asking him to the nearest million years. When does he expect this to actually happen? John? Yeah, I guess um, I, there's probably an element of good fun uh, in in that message, Pat. Uh, basically, we're looking at it depends really, right? At the moment, the the if you like the the ice that is locked up in principally in Antarctica, right? Um, if all of that melts, now I mean all of it, right? If all the if all the world's ice melt melts, that raises sea levels by uh, just over seventy meters. Now, to, to give you a figure to to visualize that, Liberty Hall is sixty five meters tall. So 70 metres, yeah, that's a problem, Pat. And I and your listener might want to take that a little more seriously. Uh, and the answer, of course, is let's not do this. On that note, John Gibbons, climate journalist, uh, David Quinn, financial planning consultant with InvestWise and Sinead Amore, host of the Stretch Marks podcast. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk. Uh, thank you very much for joining us.